You did it. You woke up today. You even got out of bed. You deserve a reward. We can't all be morning people, but we can all get McDonald's for breakfast. Right now, mix and match a chicken McGriddles or a McChicken biscuit for just three bucks. Order ahead on the Mickey D's app. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Mobile order and pay at participating McDonald's. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mark. It is the 11th of January. It's been an interesting 11 days. Um, in news today, the House Democrats introduced articles of impeachment against that guy. You know, we don't really say his name too much on the show. You know who he is, though. I call him Orange Julius. And the article of impeachment charged, charging him with incitement of insurrection was introduced by House Democrats on Monday. After last week's violent U.S. Capitol siege, describing him as a threat to national security and seeking to bar him from running for president in the future. Lord, if y'all vote this man into office again, everybody that votes for him may need to be transported to a, a undisclosed location and left there to figure out what kind of country you want since you want to make it great again, make it great somewhere else. But, um, the single impeachment article accuses him of making repeated false claims about widespread fraud in the U.S. election, inciting his supporters to interrupt a vote on President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College victory at Congress last week. Pressuring Georgia's Secretary of State, or begging Georgia's Secretary of State, to overturn Biden's win in the peace state. The House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland told fellow Democrats he expects the House vote on the measure Wednesday. In all of this, that president gravely endangered the security of the United States and its institutions of government. He threatened the integrity of the democratic system, interfered with the peaceful transition of power, and imperiled a co-equal branch of government. He therefore betrayed his trust as president to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. Now I'm going to say his name this time because it is a part of that, uh, Thing right there, but it says Donald John Trump. Damn, why is his middle name got to be John? But I'm gonna leave that alone. By such conduct, has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security, democracy, and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office, and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law. That's just the uh, part of the article in short. That's from the New York Post, but right now it's the six-man Dean Geronimo in the studio. 
And from NJ to NC, I'm here with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what you think about the madness that has been going on. Total madness. There was no doubt it was madness. We were talking about that on uh, Funk Music with Zach and everything. And we had decided that that was definitely season and tradition and all kinds of other things. The man needs to let go under the jail. Not in the jail. Under the jail and everything. Because that was just a total madness that he was involved in. I had my friend Bill Sesvant and Zach's friend as well. He popped in as did this uh, lady from Ohio. And we all, to a person, agreed that that was some of the most insane stuff that we have ever heard, seen, or witnessed. I think it's the first time that there's been something like that since I think they said the War of 1812 and all of that. And I even brought up um, an incident that I remember when I was like six years old. And I think that you may have read about it in their history books and everything. And that's when uh, some folks that some folks might consider radical from the left when it tried to disrupt the Democratic uh, um, convention and everything, and they got treated horribly by the judicial system. You remember that the trial where, um, excuse me, Bobby Fields was literally um, muzzled and done all kinds of other things along that line. So they muzzled him and they did a lot of other things. I think the rest of the members of the case were called the Chicago Seven. But, you know, these folks are getting slapped on the wrist. I mean, literally just slapped on the wrist. They're not even, like, giving them real charges or really kind of, like, things of that nature. Now, I have heard some people saying that they think that they may be building up cases against them and that they would get some real hard cases. But until that happens, I'm wondering what's going on and what our judicial system is thinking. Because every time I look around, it's like a slap on the wrist kind of charge, and that's not what they deserve for what they did and everything of that nature. I don't know if you watched the interview Yesterday with um, on 60 Minutes with Nancy Pelosi, you could definitely tell that she no. was shaken by what went on and all of that. She was very much shaken by the whole incident. Uh, you watch that interview, and the guy who was actually a Republican from Georgia, he just has nothing to say positive about Trump and all of that madness. <laughs> so he was just like he could not even fathom to say good things about this person that is. Uh, in his party and all of that. So it was definitely some fascinating interviews with a number of the Georgia officials. I think there were two of them that they talked to and everything. But I just could not believe that madness when I saw it. And it's just totally insane in my mind the way that they have been acting. The man lost the election. Get over it. <laughs> he, he lost. But right. the one thing that I have here, I mean, there's a couple of interesting things. One, people are thinking that, you know, why go after impeachment? He's only got 10 days going. But what they don't understand is that if he is in peace, I believe that that will for, uh, make him never be able to run for office again. Probably can't even run for dog catcher. So that, that's part of the reason that they're probably going after him even in the last few days because they want to make sure that this fool never gets a chance to run ever, ever again. And then I was talking to one of my coworkers at Measurement, and they actually had a relative over there. I think they said it was their brother-in-law who was definitely probably much more conservative than this co-worker of mine is. And they were at the incident and everything. And they were trying to paint it as, um, they were trying to do the Antifa argument. So they were like thinking, they were saying that the protest was peaceful. And I'm saying they're going like, not from what I saw, it didn't look peaceful. But they you you know what? Peaceful and, until, they, until the outside forces that were, and they used no, forces, but they, it, tried to, they tried to paint it like these people were not the norm of that crowd. <laughs> No, it was help from the inside, and also 
it was not peaceful at all. So here's the thing. They plan on, uh, the FBI says that they plan on doing that same thing in all 50 uh, state capitals. But one thing I will say, and this is my opinion, my opinion only, I do not speak for straight talk with Dana Mark as a whole. However, they need to have swift and decisive justice. Don't worry about arresting them. Just go ahead and take them all out. And the ones that you do arrest, give them the time that you gave black people back in the 80s for a little bit of uh, residue in a crack vial. Go ahead and give them 15, 20 years to life and all of that shit. Give that to them because you know what? At this point, don't waste my damn taxpayer money that you're already spending, and I don't know where the hell it's going, but don't waste my money incarcerating these individuals. They do not deserve anything. They don't deserve due process. They don't deserve a right to a trial by jury. They don't deserve any of that. Once you go against the laws and the rules of this country to that magnitude, there is only one, one answer for a treasonous act and for those of you who know what it is, what's understood doesn't need to be explained so I'm not, you know I don't feel bad for them they've been put on no fly list so these idiots flew into D.C. and couldn't fly out of D.C. so now they're stuck and they should go ahead and be punished accordingly, there's no in between I don't feel bad for them until uh, the black man is fully respected as he should be until the black woman is fully respected as she should be. I feel I don't give not one single solitary damn about what uh, how they feel or what puppet master they follow or, you know, they stupid enough to go by what he says to do. Then you suffer the consequences accordingly. And you should. There should no, be I no. Right. I definitely agree with you on that. Right. I agree with you should... on that. And even though and I think that you're absolutely right. And in this case, we probably are speaking to offer both of us and everything, because I would definitely agree with you on that. And I also don't think that there's some of these people that spoke up, they need to get that office as well. Jay Boone mm-hmm. needs to go. Um, that other guy needs to go. And yes, I would even argue that apparently this U.S. representative from my state, Madison Thawthorne, he needs to go as well, because apparently he spoke at last week's rally that preceded the riot, and he's lost the support of a key Republican endorser in Western North Carolina, and some Democrats are calling for his removal. And even though he's the youngest member of Congress, I'm not letting age be an excuse. He was elected in November to fill the seat previously held by the current White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, after campaigning as a new kind of Republican who would not, who would not back down. So he said that he would fight the battle for our Constitution on the House floor with other patriots. The battle is on the House floor not in the streets of D.C. tweeted at 1.31 p.m. on January 6th at around the same time a mob was breaking into the Capitol. So in his mm-hmm. speech in front of the White House earlier that day, he told the crowds, the Democrats, with all the fault they have done this to the election, the Republicans hiding and not fighting, they are trying to silence your voice. So he's definitely got some real issues. He's been listening too much of uh, what's going on. Been drinking that as one of your faces. He's been drinking too much of the Kool-Aid and all of that. Yeah. Definitely he's lost the backing of a major endorser because uh, George Irwin who won three times as a Henderson County Sheriff and served a decade as the Executive Director of the National North Carolina Association of Chiefs of Police had lined up support um, from uh, Fort Cathorne at one point but uh, it looks like he might be uh, 
pulling out some of that as well. So it looks like he might be uh, trying to get out of all of this kind of stuff. So I got to do some more reading on this. But definitely, uh, I do think that the mess act, the balance at the Capitol and Carlton's talk before led Irwin to seek out publicity. Words mean things. You can inflame a group and you can call the group by the words you use. It's me, he inflamed, mm-hmm. Irwin said. You rile people up and then afterwards you're going to say, well, this is a hallway. This is a hallway and I back the blue. No, you don't. You fire these people up and the first line of defense was law enforcement. People are dead. You can't take that back. So he definitely right. looks like he lost a major endorser because like you said, this guy is part and, of that hallway shadow crowd. Don't don't tell me you know folks want to talk about the Air Force veteran. No, the domestic terrorist that decided that thought she uh when she was purchasing superpowers, I guess she forgot to purchase invincibility because you know you want to be right there trying to climb through the window. You caught a bullet. And now you're on the express flight to the afterlife. So hey, get what you purchase. Way to go, Stu. Yeah, not only that, but like I said, I've heard from several people, and like I said, um, people have different views about different conspiracy theories and other things, but I don't know if you've read some of the views of QAnon, but apparently he was a major QAnon supporter, and everything that I've read about QAnon, they've got some very weird beliefs on all kinds of levels and everything, but like I said, she bought the Kool-Aid, and she's definitely thinking that, you know, QAnon and some of their crazy belief systems were um, fact and all of that. So, matter of fact, if you look up in Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that QAnon is a disproven and discredited far-right conspiracy theorist alleged that the that a couple of Satan worshiping cannibalistic pedophile is running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against the U.S. President Donald Trump who is fighting the cabal. QAnon also commonly asserts that Trump is planning a day of reckoning known as the storm when thousands of members of the cabal will be arrested. So that's part of what she was buying into and all of that. They have also claimed that Trump feigned conspiracy with Russians to enlisted Robert Mueller to join him in exposing the sex trafficking ring and prevented a coup d'etat by Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. So that's just some of what you can find about QAnon online, on Wikipedia, and a number of other sources. So a bunch of damn fools with a whole bunch of sugar packets and some Kool-Aid pouches, and they just ready to just make them a nice old batch of non-belief and, and speak of it so much that they believe that it becomes truth. And it's sad that in, in the new uh, decade, hell, in the, in the new millennia, going into what, this is now the 21st century, you still got them uh, fools that believe certain things. So won't y'all just do like the folks did at that, um, at that one spot when they thought they, the aliens were going to come and take them to heaven and, and, and put on all that black and ended up laid out, stretched out on them beds. And y'all just go ahead and be like them. You know, just go ahead and be like um, your boy uh, Jim Jones and Guyana. Take yourself out, man. We, we, the rest of us are sick of some of you. And some of you need to really just go ahead and if you hate it that much, just leave. I mean, we, nobody's holding you here. 
So why don't y'all go find y'all some land over in some un under uh not even undiscovered country, undeveloped un, undeveloped country. Just go over there, start your own little stuff. Trust me, we will not come to visit. We will leave you the hell alone. You will have your own stuff out there and I hope you run out of all the raw materials. I hope you run out of water. I hope you run out of anything you need and you just beat each other to death. You want to storm stump and run over this, do it to each other. Y'all want to be so gangster. Go ahead and take each other out. Then we won't have to deal with the stupidity anymore. That's just my thought, man. No, you're making lots of sense. I'm, I'm hearing Greenland's really available these days. <laughs> it, it's just to the point, man, where like it's, every day, it's it's like one of those little kids that always get in trouble. And, you know, you might have one good day and then 18 bad days, two so-so days, and then 12 horrible days. And every day is not about you, you know. And, and these folks actually believe that they are uh, holding... The, the keepers of democracy. Well, you know what? So did slave owners, and slave owners were yep. were were of the belief that they were um, given the power by God to enslave and deprive others of their rights. So much so that they had the religious word altered so that it was a training manual, so to speak, of how to be a good slave. So you know, that's it, 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 it's like, damn, y'all still on that? <laughs> still on that? Still acting? You know, still stuck on stupid Sabara and favorite phrase and everything. And the scary thing is that you know sometimes modern uh, cartoons and modern movies and everything they actually foretell this kind of stuff. Because I want to say that a friend of mine told me they remember an episode of The Simpsons that actually saw like some crazy revolts and. Donald Trump as the president and a bunch of other craziness that we've actually seen come to fruition. And that script was written like back when Donald was the tycoon of New York. So we're talking like the 90s or the early 2000s. And they predicted this mess way back then. (laughs) Well, the the writers of The Simpsons claim that they they did not and they say, you know, these things are like Photoshop, but it's I don't know, man. I'm like, yeah, you could say that. That sounds okay. But I honestly believe that y'all know something. Did y'all do some time travel? You know, what did you do to hit all of these different things on the head? Whether it be 15, 20 years later. But still, you actually called it. You know what I'm saying? You called it. What we thought was just being entertainment turned out to be uh, life. life, you know, life, and it, and I guess it was not. It wasn't life imitating art. It was art predicting life. You know what I mean? That's right. how that's how it came out to be. I agree. <laughs> that's the way it came out to me as well. Like they just imitated it, and you said they go like, I cannot believe that this is what happened and everything. But it did happen that way, and now we're dealing with the. Uh, consequences of it and like I said we'll see what happens whether we get uh, whether um, Biden winds up moving his presidency one over because you know if they have him fifth president for four days then he becomes the 46th president and Biden becomes 47 so we'll see what happens 
in that regard. Because we might, uh, Pence might get to be president for less than a week. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it sounds, and everybody's in a rush to do this, but they need to think for a second. Right now, you still got uh, Gooseneck Mitch McConnell as the Senate Majority Leader, right? And you still yeah. have a Republican-controlled Senate. You might want to wait. And then once Joe Biden takes office, then if you want to do it party-wise, then the Democrats have the House, the Democrats have the Senate, and you move accordingly from there. And that way, you know, it'll be what it'll be. So yeah, he put himself in this situation. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the better course of action because you know it, it's one of those things where today is the eleventh, right? We got nine yeah. days. We got nine days, and Buddy is not going to be saying too much because they suspended all his social media. So you know what? He's not smart enough to put a a. a release out through his publicist so he's kind of stuck right now yeah because he, he doesn't have access to twitter he doesn't have access to i think his facebook is gone i know his twitter is gone and those other crazy folks that have started their own right-wing facebook i think that they pretty much shut them down too because there's something called parlor or something like that but it sounds like they oh like parlor they shut they shut all that down they took that off the play store they took it out of everywhere so now those folks are kind of pissed off because they glorified all of that silliness and, and violence and hate and all of those things. So now it's like, well, they don't have any anything to use it for. They got nothing to use it for at all. Now, on a lighter note, and I know that my friend uh, Phil will be uh, glad that you are um, uh, that your team won. But his team won too, and y'all are facing each other. So he's gonna like probably make call you later on, ladies, that abuse you and everything. I'll see if Bill wants to call or anything because I know he called on Zach. So, but you know, Bill who called in that crazy day that we had that guy that was the right wing Trumper called in and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. So he is a he is a Bills fan, and it looks like his Bills will be playing your uh, Baltimore Ravens in the next okay. round. So that'll be the next game. So it's gonna be. Buffalo versus Baltimore, and I know it's going to be Kansas City against the upstart Cleveland team. I was not expecting them to do what they did to Pittsburgh, but they could put a whooping on Pittsburgh and everything. But it's going to be the four of those teams playing against each other. And then on the other side, it's going to be the battle of the old man. And I can say that because I'm 58, and they're much younger than me. But the battle of the old man in football, so it's going to be Drew Brees against Tom Brady in the battle of the 40s. So they're going to go up against each other, Tampa Bay against New Orleans, and then we're going to have the L.A. Rams against the Green Bay Packers. So actually, I'm thinking Aaron Rodgers has exactly a spring chicken, so he might be pushing near 40 as well. So the youngest quarterback might be the L.A. Rams quarterback in that, in that group and everything. But definitely I'll be some good football played and everything. I know I've talked quite a few of the games this past weekend and everything, and there were definitely some contests, including something that I was not expecting. I did learn a valuable lesson about sports, which is that if you're going to do, uh, like, playful gambling or, you know, not any real money online and everything, you need to at least understand the rules. Because I really did one of them uh, sports betting things, not realizing that I was betting the spread. So I think my record wound up being three and three, but it should, but I actually, I think, picked maybe four of the winners, but I, one of the winners did not go my way in the spread. So I was probably closest to 
four and two versus three and three if I look back on everything. Because I know that I picked a team to win, and they did win, but they didn't quite cover their spread. So I did not realize I was literally betting the spread as well. See, I, I stay away from all that stuff, man. I just like to watch some uh, good football, man. And hopefully, I don't know, in, in this round, I like to see the Saints, the Rams on the NFC side. I want to take the Browns and, of course, my Ravens on the AFC side. So I, I would love to see, see those matchups and then, you know, once you get all the way to it, I like to see the Saints and my Ravens in the Super Bowl. That, I, I think, I, I mean, whoever over there, that I don't even care. That, that could be a good Super Bowl, but I mean, you actually think that, um, and I'm not saying he's not possible, because Cleveland is on the roll, but they got a real tough opponent. They got to get past Kansas City. Yeah, I'm hoping that they, they upset Kansas City. That's what I'm, I mean, that would be nice. I, that's just me. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's going to be a real hard one for them to be upset Kansas City. Yeah, like you said, Cleveland did amazing with what they did to Pittsburgh, but I don't know if they can get past Kansas City. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a tough uh, quarterback, and he's got some good coach. So, definitely, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to pull that off or if they'll pull that off. But I know this is going to be <laughs> real interesting. I was thinking that my team on basketball was going to bounce back and we are going to either go back to being – above 500, but we had our game followed over the weekend, which is going to be against a top-ranked team uh, because they had uh, cases of COVID. So, definitely that was uh, on our part that we're stuck at 6-6, six six, still stuck at 500 ball and everything, and I think tomorrow we play properly. But hopefully we can bounce back into the winning category and bounce back into having a positive margin and not a negative margin. But I was looking to try to get some revenge on Villanova, but Villanova had some cases going on. And I really feel sorry. Speaking of the impact of the virus on the world, I was checking out Doc Rivers and his 76ers. You know, he's gone away from the Clippers and showed the 76ers. I think the last game, they only had eight people on the team because that's how much of the team has been impacted by the virus. So he was trying to coach with only like 18 players and they think they lost to Denver or somebody like that. But it, they were definitely um, struggling in terms of even putting the team on the field. Hmm. Man, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a whole lot. I think it's like half the team was dealing with uh, either um, kind of restricting themselves. I think um, Indies and a couple of the other ones just opted not to put themselves in danger. And then there were a couple that had the virus itself. So like I said, I think some was, and there was some non-virus related injuries as well. But yeah, I know. I want to say, because one of the players that he did have on, at his disposal was hurt. So I think it was like eight players at his disposal, of which were only maybe seven or six that were actually healthy. So, like I said, hopefully they can bounce back, get healthy, and, you know, still do good. They've been doing well and everything. But I think I hear a doorbell. I'm hoping that's the you, last you got all sure. to talk to <laughs> Okay, you sure did. And we're about to find out who's at the door right right now. Thanks for calling Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Please tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hi, Dean and Mark. This is Veronica Hardy, and I'm calling from North Carolina. Hey, how hey, you Veronica. doing? Glad to have you I am doing back. great. We've got, we've right. got amazing things going on. Before we get to your new and amazing things going on, because you've always got some new projects happening and 
That's part of what she wanted to get in touch with us to tell us about the new project. But before we get to that, me and Dean were talking about the madness of the world and this whole thing that jumped off last week and everything. So as a uh, educator and as a woman and everything, what was your thoughts when you saw this madness that went down this past Wednesday? Well, I'll be honest, I try to separate myself mentally from it. So the first thing I would tell people is take mental breaks from the news, because that's definitely what I've been doing. Um, But just as a social worker, my organization has been encouraging people to advocate, because what has been happening goes against what 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 is communicated about our constitution and what leadership should look like. So of course one of the major things we should do is advocate for change. No, no doubt we definitely gotta advocate for change and definitely gotta be the voice of change and all of that. So I definitely agree with you on that that we gotta be the advocate for change. And I know one of the things you told me was that you're working on a new project and some new releases and everything. So I know that our folks would love to hear Again, a little bit more about you and some of the things that you've got going on and new, because I know you've got new stuff for 2021. Everybody's pivoting, and mm-hmm. you've come up with new projects for this year. So what do we got happening in 2021 in Veronica's life? Yeah, so much going on in 2021, because I'm hoping it's an amazing year. <laughs> and it has been pretty good so far. Um, uh, some of my new projects have to do with, with writing. Uh, that's definitely one of my passions, but more so the spiritual aspect of my writing since since I identify as Christian. But I have a new book coming out. It should be out March 1st, but it's available for pre-order on Amazon now. But it's called Becoming Untangled, Eight Simple Strategies for Cleaning Up Your Life, Mind, and Habits. And the book focuses on how oftentimes we get tangled up, mentally tangled up, or bound to certain things. And as we try to move forward, sometimes instead of continuing to move forward, we look back. And whatever we're looking back at tends to pull us back and hinders us from moving forward. So this book tends to give us spiritual strategies that can help us move forward and realize when we're starting to look back or move back in a certain direction. And what are some of the eight strategies without getting into all eight of them because we want people to buy the book? So maybe you can give us like two or three of them that people might want to get into the book and then we can explore those and then they can buy the book and get the other five. But what are some of the strategies that you are suggesting that people use the book for? And then I have another question that's a follow-up to that. But first, give us the strategies. That are, um, sure. Sure. So so one of the strategies, I'll say the first one is called Come Come Out From Hiding. Uh, oftentimes we will experience something in life, whether it's a bad decision we made and, and we experience uh, regret or guilt because of it, or even something that someone has done to us that leads us into a place of secrecy or hiding. And when we're in hiding, we're not able to, to flourish in who God called us to be. So the first step is about coming out of hiding, and part of that means coming back into alignment with who God has called you to be, being able to reveal yourself in some kind of way, and then being able to step forward and realizing that it's all a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It may not even happen in a week or a year, but giving us the self, ourselves the grace to realize that it is a process. Um, and another step I have is called develop an exit strategy. And I I, I got that because of, 
if we know in the, the book of Exodus in the Bible, it speaks about the parting of the Red Sea. So the Israelites in the Bible, there was an exit strategy planned for them to be able to walk through. But the challenge was as they were leaving captivity, they looked back. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage is not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. And they thought that where they were leaving would be better than the situation that they're in, okay? And the thought was they were escaping physically. They were no longer bound, but they were still mentally bound. So I encourage people to, to realize how mentally they may still be captive and holding themselves captive at the same time. And so they need an intentional exit strategy. What am I going to do to move out of this mental captivity that I'm in? Okay. And then building awareness is a third step. Being aware of your own thoughts and your behaviors that are keeping you tangled up in things that have you bound. So those are just three of the eight steps that I have listed in the book right now. Well, those are like amazing steps and everything. Now, the question I was going to ask you is I know that you definitely are very uh, proud of your Christianity and very much in tune with your Christian beliefs and everything along that line. But definitely we're in the age of the pandemic and we have listeners from throughout the world and not all of them are Christians. Some of them might be Buddhist, some of them might be Muslim, some of them might be other faiths and other religions. So I just wonder, in your mindset, if folks that are listening or interested in the book, are there lessons that they can take and bring to their life if they don't necessarily practice the Christian faith? Like maybe they come from the world of spirituality or the world of Yoruba religions or Native American thoughts or things of that nature. So I just wonder if there are lessons that you feel that you're bringing forward that people that may not necessarily be of the same faith that you are can uh, learn from and take those lessons to heart and put it in their faith wall. I definitely believe so because what I do is I, I pull scriptures from the Bible to simply su- support what is written. But in the beginning, as I, as I wrote the introduction, I identify how I, I am a professor at a university and I teach theories. You know, and oftentimes the the theories aren't related to spirituality. Generally, someone designed it, supported it, and it's been repeated throughout our textbooks for years. And just as I was reading the theories, it's very consistent with scriptures in the Bible. So anyone who reads it can interpret it in that way, too, uh, with the daily life experience of human behavior and how it may connect to theory. So what I did was integrate myself as a social worker and my clinical knowledge with also my spiritual knowledge. So I could see how just about anyone could be able to gain from the clinical knowledge that is shared through the book. Well, that's very important and everything. Definitely. And what made you decide to write this book? You've read so many great books and everything, but what, what pushed you to write this particular book? Hmm. 
the the reason I chose to write it was one because uh, I believe that many people are tangled up in things and it tends to hinder them from moving forward. Oftentimes we may get to a place in our life and then pause and look at it and say, it's five years. (laughs) It's five years later now and I'm still sitting in the same position that I was before. So many people may look back and not see a strong change that has taken place in their lives. Um, Another reason that helped reinforce why I wrote this book was my grandfather, who is no no longer with me uh, physically, but I say he's still with me uh, spiritually and as a minister in my life because as I was going through his belongings, I came through by some of his notebooks with his sermon notes in it. And one of the notes, do you mind if I read you this quote? No, not at all. Go ahead and read it. I would love that. Great. And his name is Reverend Moses Hardy Sr. And it says, we all have a Red Sea to pass through. The Red Sea can be your health, your responsibilities, and even your challenges. You may not pass through the first time due to looking back, but do not give up. No one else can take the journey for you. Learn from each experience. Build fresh treasures of knowledge. In doing so, remember that God will take the lead. He is your unfailing rock. He is with you. So that that quote that he had really influenced me and stuck with me and, and identified how we tend to look back and get pulled back instead of being able to move forward and building upon what is there. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely agree with that. We sometimes have this habit of, uh, as we talked about before on this show, we sometimes have a habit of um, halting ourselves, and we don't even have to worry about other people halting us. We wind up being our worst enemies and all of that. But as a social worker, when you're talking to your clients and different folks that you're involved with, how do you get them to get away from that? Because I do find that a lot of times we can be our own worst enemies, meaning that we'll defeat ourselves before we've even had a chance to go up against battle with anybody, whether that's job, whether that's relationships, whether that's a number of other things. I know many a times that folks will not even enter into a relationship because they've already decided that the relationship isn't going to work for whatever reasons before they even had a chance to give it an opportunity to work one way or the other. So when you're talking to different folks, how do you address those kind of situations? Because I find that that's very common in not just America, but the world. Yeah, I like how you brought that up because oftentimes I say we can end up being our own oppressor sometimes. Sometimes the oppressor right. doesn't live outside of us. The oppressor lives within us. And um, so with people I might provide services to, awareness is always the first step. You, you have to see it. And sometimes we're blinded from things that, that we are doing and that we are thinking. So we have to create an awareness around our thoughts. And I know our days are so busy that we don't recognize our thoughts and we're just considering ourselves to be living through the day. But they have to slow down in some way to be able to capture those thoughts and examine them. And journaling is one way, but I know not everyone is is a fan of of journaling. But whatever that person's communication method is, because some people can, can draw well, and that can be their form of communication. Others write poetry. Others write songs. So whatever it is where that person can capture their thoughts in some way, that can help start to build awareness of what their thoughts are. And once you recognize the thoughts and start building awareness, now we got to determine what these thoughts are rooted in. Where did they come from? 
Um, some people it started in childhood. Some people it may have started because of a relationship, et cetera. So we have to understand what the root is. And I often say we have to pull up that root so it's not sitting and, and growing and buried in you anymore, but you having control over it versus it having control over you. And some things we may not be able to forget or push back, but the goal is always for you to have control over it, it controlling and, and, and navigating your life. Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I know one of the things that we all have kind of to talk about is how we all have those various um, suitcases and baggage or whatever time we want to use that we bring into relationships, bring into life just in general, bring into the work environment and things of that nature. And some folks say that they cannot leave the baggage alone, because I know everybody says the common expression is leave the baggage at the door, don't bring it into whatever the new situation mm-hmm. is. And like I said, that can be work, that can be a family environment, that can be a number of environments that we all go through, that can be school for those that are in the school environment and everything. But some people say they have to take the baggage in with them, even though other people are telling them they'll leave it off out on the outside. So what is your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Do, 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 mm-hmm. do we need to carry the baggage with us? Yeah, and and the challenge is that there's a quote that says where wherever you go, there you are. So all your stuff <laughs> tends to come with you. So when it comes to that baggage, we need to be intentional of how it's presenting itself in the moment or how we mute it in the moment. So everything when it comes to baggage and and gaining control of it, we have to be intentional about it. It comes back to awareness, and I'll just use myself as an as an example. When I'm trying to mute or control something in me and develop a new behavior that, that I would prefer, I need something in my face to remind me. So whether it's I put a sticky note in my appointment book or something on my computer screen, I need something to remind me because if I don't, the old habits will be in charge versus me being able to develop the new habits. So, again, being intentional, what can I put in front of my face to remind me? And at the same time, how can I show myself grace or even celebrate the moments when I do have the control versus letting something else have control over me? And our goal is, again, to be able to create new habits, new behaviors, new ways of thinking, because it is possible. Oftentimes people think others can't change, but we change every day. People will change even from from listening to this broadcast right now because we've been influenced by something. So we have to believe that, that change happens every minute with every person and every situation that we're exposed to, change can happen. And we need to work to create it in ourselves at the same time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing I was just curious about your thoughts on this is how important do you think it is in terms of, like, friendships, relationships, and any of these kind of things to have a like-minded kind of attitudes? Like I said, we're here in the South and North Carolina to be exact. And I know a lot of folks, you know, they're diehard, say, Duke fans or diehard Carolina fans or diehard Central AMP fans, and, you know, they will never deal with anybody who doesn't necessarily fall within that like that they have or that passion they have for that team. And I didn't even argue the same thing with uh, people's faith walk. I got no for a fact that there are some people that are very much devoted to it. They can only be involved with somebody that shares the same faith walk that they have, whereas I've got some other friends that are totally different faith walks. Like I've got a very good friend of mine who's very much into her Christian faith. Her husband, they've been married now for 
and share their time of life together and all of that. So how important do you think it is to have like-minded interests, and can you survive without um, being in the same mindset as the opposite person in negative family that can be? Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that you can survive without having uh, – just this like-mindedness because the differences are what enable us to grow, you know, when someone else comes into our life and, and introduces something new or different to us. But there's also strength in being able to hold on to what you believe in too and not feeling like you have to compromise it, but I'm still making room in my life to, to care for or spend time with this, this other person. You know, and a lot of it can go back to culture, spiritual beliefs, or what the individual thinks is healthy for them, or what they feel is right for them, or what they need right now. But being able to make room at the same time. So a lot of it will come down to what personal preferences, culture, beliefs, and and many of us want to honor our spirituality and our beliefs and work to stay consistent with that. But I know with me, I have plenty of room in my life for people who may may not identify as Christian because I think that that's beautiful. There's there's beauty in diversity, for sure. And with each person I come in contact with, it it gives me the opportunity to grow and to receive. And I always honor that this person is in my life for a reason, and and I and I enjoy seeing that reason unfold. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a. Saying that I know is very much of a cliche of saying, but it seems to be a very true saying. And I know there are a lot of cliches that are also very true, but that's that whole concept of that people come into your life for a um, a reason, a season, and I forget the rest of the quote. But you, you know that famous quote and everything about people entering your life is usually either for a long period of time or a short period of time, and there's like a whole quote that goes along with that and everything. But it seems like that's very true in a lot of existences and a lot of ways that we exist in the world and everything. So I just wanted to find that a lot of those kind of uh, cliches that we hear about, whether that's stuff that even Ben Franklin says, are very much truisms and they're even very much relevant to this day and time, to the 21st century, even though some of those things might have been said way back in the 1600s or the 1700s. Yeah, I think they're, they're all very relevant. If we pause and take a moment to look and work to understand it and to build relationships. And I know right now it's such a, uh, again, still because of the pandemic, there, there are these, there's isolation taking place, which is, is separating us. But many people have put, put things in place as well virtually to build relationships. And it was interesting. I came across a website today for, uh, about supporting people who may be isolated. It's It's kind of a phone chat where, social work students can reach out and help support people who may be homebound or feeling isolated and reach out. Um, so, so again, just, just that exposure to other people and the opportunity to learn and engage with other people, it definitely strengthens us and creates awareness of how we are thinking, what we believe in, and, and how we can be strengthened overall from the new relationships that come into our lives. Yeah, what do you think, because um, I know that you've been involved in social work for a number of years and definitely teach it and all the things, but what do you think is some of the biggest misconceptions people have? I did not get a chance to ask you that the last time you were on, but some of the biggest misconceptions people have about social work and how do you cope with those misconceptions? Because every field has its misconceptions. 
law enforcement, whether it's doctors, we all have misconceptions of various fields. But when you talk to people and you tell them that you've been doing social work and that you keep in that field in Pembroke, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about the field? Mm. I like that you asked this question. I actually recently started a Facebook group called the Social Work Lounge, and I created it for social workers and social work students to be able to see the the vast array of what social workers can do because one of the major misconceptions that often comes through TV shows and media is that we're child snatchers. (laughs) That's what we do, just go in people's homes and take their kids. Um, where people Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the $3 medium pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusion apply. Valid on pumpkin spice signature latte only in all cold foam cold brew. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. People don't realize, no, the judge has to make that determination. That's not what a social worker actually does. So I think that's one of the major misconceptions. Um, A second one, people do not realize that social workers are the major mental health providers in the country. In other words, we diagnose, we provide therapy, um, we provide assessment, We do all of that, but people often think it's just the psychiatrist, the psychologist, or the mental health counselor who does that. We do that, too. So that's that's another main role that we carry. And I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so when I lived there, I did have a private counseling practice. Um, And a third misconception is that we cannot be entrepreneurs that will often just sit up and work up under other people. No, social workers can also be business people, too. Like I said, I had my own practice. Many people may own their own businesses, such as nonprofits or counseling agencies. Uh, Social workers may be in politics, work internationally. So it's so much bigger than what people think um, beyond taking people's children or or mainly providing case management. So there are a lot of roles that we tend to fill. Um, from public speaking to authorship to international type work, you name it. So I often like for people to understand how diverse the profession is and how valuable this type of degree is and that it's needed, especially in response to the mental aspect of the human being. So we have the physical and the mental, and we need people who are able to respond to the mental parts of us. And that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing I was curious about is, particularly with the pandemic, but and you actually alluded to it earlier, with so many people working from home or also being stressed just in general ways, maybe spending too much time watching the news and all of that. But um, sometimes in our society, and by our society, I mean the minority community, and that can be both the African American, the uh, I would even argue the Latin American and the Native American cultures as well as, to some degree, 
we have a hard enough time going to our regular doctors, and a lot of times we don't want to see anybody's got to do anything with therapy whatsoever, whether that's social work, whether that's psychology or a number of the other fields in that realm. So when you come to me your students and you need to have them understand that they might need to go see a fellow social worker of yours or go see mm-hmm. a psychologist, how do you even voice that conversation when it's such a difficult conversation in our community? Oftentimes we don't want to deal, like I said, we have a hard enough time dealing with our physical doctors and our dentists. Mm-hmm. That is so true. That is so true. And one thing, when I'm teaching my students, the first two points they have to realize is you have to develop trust and establish your credibility with whoever you are working with. Because if you break trust or you don't seem credible as if you're a liar, manipulating or misleading, the person that, that came in for the services will probably walk away and not come back again. And as we know, a lot of this is historically based because we were not able to trust, say, medical and other professions historically, and I'll just say as African-Americans, you know. So, and and that trickles down. It doesn't go anywhere. And we see now that it, it hasn't stopped. It's just turned into other forms. So whenever my students need to go out and provide services in some form, they have to remember that you have to establish that trust and you have to identify yourself as as separate from the people who have hurt the population who is coming in to receive services. And I know before that people used to view me as part of the system and that's all they would say. Well, you're part of the system. And I had to identify myself. No, I'm not part of the system. This is my role and this is who I am or can be to you. So, Again, we have to be able to distinguish ourselves, establish our credibility, build trust, and that can take time. That can take several meetings or sessions in order for that to happen, but that's understandable. And not pressuring someone. Oftentimes, because I used to provide counseling, people think counseling just has to be talking. But talking is not everybody's form of communication when they want to express themselves. So we don't ever want to press someone to communicate in a way where they are not comfortable because now the environment is no longer safe. So we have to learn who that person is who's sitting in front of us and realize their way of communicating or emotionally expressing themselves and working within that. So those are just a few things that I would share with my students or other people who who want to be in the social work profession your credibility is important, building trust, and always creating a sense of safety for whoever's coming in for services. Uh, yeah, I can definitely understand that. One of the things um, on one of my other uh, networks that I'm involved with, which is the uh, International Broadcast Media, there's a show called Mind Project, and he actually had a minister on from his country of Nigeria, and they were actually talking about mm-hmm. how impactful manipulation can be in our day-to-day lives mm-hmm. and the way that we just deal with the world and everything and the way that folks can kind of manipulate you. And I think we've even seen that from some of our political leaders here in the United States and everything. So I'm just wondering your thoughts about that as well. Like I said, they had a very fascinating conversation. I think it lasted for almost two hours just about the fact that a lot of times we allow ourselves to be manipulated, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in family dynamics, whether that's in job situations or in school situations. And like I said, they had a very fascinating conversation that I had the pleasure of being part of, um, I think it was about a week and a half ago, and everything.
something along that line. But as a social worker, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the ways that we do allow people, and in some cases, like high-powered government officials, to try to manipulate uh, our world and things of that nature. I, I love the fact that you actually said, well, the way you avoid it is you turn off the, uh, the TV and you mm-hmm. don't let those things enter into your space. And I heard I mm-hmm. that from a guest earlier today because I think they said that they only watch the news once a day because they feel that mm-hmm. they're not as much of a news hound as their husband was, who was a young lady and everything. But she's talking about she watches it once a day and tries to keep it that way. And she even said that she sometimes will sit back and do simple things like, uh, even though she's a woman probably in her 50s and everything, but she'll sit back and watch cartoons and do other things that folks might find <laughs> to be something that a grown person would not do and everything. But I just wondered, as in your own life, how do you deal with this kind of manipulation environment that we're in in the 21st century? Yeah, I like how you brought this up because early this morning we I was having a similar similar conversation with someone who didn't start out as a conversation about manipulation, but that's where it ended up. And we were talking about how we live in a world community, not just the United States, but if you sit in the United States, our world our our news is often just local news, which is not giving us much, right? And our TV shows are the housewives of this and who's dating that person and on and on. So it's all of this, all of these shows that are in place to keep us uninformed, to distract us away from things that are actually happening and shows that pull money out of our pockets too at the same time. So oftentimes we're pouring into the wrong things and paying attention to the wrong things instead of the right things that are going to affect our lives in the long term. And I had a friend who who just, you know, traveled to another country, and while they were overseas, the international news was on, not just the local news, but the international news, not not these uh, reality shows, but the international news, so people have a better idea. And not that the international news doesn't influence or manipulate either, but you have a better understanding of what's going on in the world community, which trickles down to how your community is going to be affected in the long term. So to me, we need to be careful about who we let influence our minds and influence our thoughts because every commercial we see, every TV show we watch, even the angles on the news or what channel it comes on, it has a purpose. It has a purpose, and you have to be sure that, that you don't let that purpose specifically affect you, that you educate yourself. Something I often tell my students is don't just trust it because I say it. <laughs> I'm not the only source of knowledge. Anything I say, you should check me two, three, four times. Find other resources to check me. So don't just place this blind trust into one person or one source. You need to be able to find out for yourself and to determine how it's going to impact your life and those that you care about who are around you. So I often encourage people, don't limit yourself to local news because that means you're limiting your mind. You need to broaden it. You need to broaden it. Watch internationally. Watch multiple channels. Gain information from multiple uh, resources and compare it. And be careful who you allow to influence your mind. Yeah, it's interesting you say that and everything because I know that whether it's the political front 
over this, even the religious class, those that I have the most respect for are those that listen to the words from their leaders, whether that's the minister in the case of the church or like the um, political action committees and everything of that nature. But then they will go out and do their own research and their own reading based mm-hmm. on what the passage that they might have been given. They don't just like take it as face value and only what the interpretation was from their minister or their pastor or from their political action committee or the or their NAACP or Urban League kind of folks. They actually hear what those folks are saying, but then they go back and say, for example, the Bible. They they they, they, they hear a passage from Proverbs and then they go back and read Proverbs and hear how that message impacts them while also understanding mm-hmm. what the minister said, but also trying to get it from their own mindset as well. So that seems to me that that's the best way to approach anything that you are trying to learn and study is to hear the words of the um, the professor, the teacher, the scholar, or whatever, but also get your own um, internal kind of sense of what that message is to you as well. At least that's what seems to me to be the best approach, and that's because I find that too often some folks will just kind of like automatically take the word as they heard it and not even go back mm-hmm. to read it and get their own reflections on what they heard, and that's something that I think becomes too often not done enough of. You have people that go into whatever the environment is. It might be a political speech, and here's the person saying their different views and everything, but they won't go and put them in check as to why they said what they said or what, or why they had that particular interpretation. So I was wondering, do you think that that's kind of the way I describe it is the more healthy version of having it, where you hear the words that is coming from the leadership, whatever that leadership is, but you also decide to um, go back and uh, read it and get your own interpretation as well. Yes, it is important to go out there and find it for yourself, see it for yourself. And I remember growing up, if, if I asked my dad or somebody, well, what does this word mean? Look it up. <laughs> we all have the ability. And back then, we had to actually go grab a dictionary. Now people have the Internet. You can type it in, get on multiple sites, and you can get a dictionary if you want to. But put in the effort to look it up and find the information for yourself and cross-reference it. And actually talk to somebody, talk to somebody who might have knowledge about it too or who has gone through the experience that you're working to understand. I think in the United States, oftentimes there's so much dissension because we don't engage with different groups in a healthy way. We, we go by, we make judgments about groups based on what we see on TV. This person's that or this person's a thug or on and on on based on what we see on TV when we have never engaged with that particular group of people to know for ourselves. So again, that's, again, it's a form, a form of manipulation that can cause issues of separation and can contribute to a lack of knowledge. We want to use our minds. We want to strengthen our minds. We want to grow in our knowledge and determine, okay, what information do I need to be sustained uh, wherever I live or in this country? And then how do I sustain my, my, my people, you know, my ancestors who are, you know, being birthed, et cetera. So we have to keep that in mind. How are we going to keep growing? Not just simply trusting what someone says, but gaining the knowledge and information to make healthy decisions for our lives. You definitely have to do that on a regular basis. Another thing that I know that a lot of folks are oftentimes fascinated by, particularly when they work 
in um, corporate environments and things of that nature is this whole concept of um, the ways that we uh, do coding and things of that nature and the way that we kind of like um, interpret our uh, actions with communities based on what's going on and what the environment is. So I know that that goes on particularly among the African-American women as well as the African-American gentlemen as well out there and several other minorities where, you know, you might have one kind of like attitude when you're with your friends and your fellows and everything of that nature. And then you got to go and act quote unquote white when you go into the corporate world and all of that. So I'd love for you to share a little bit of your thoughts as to that cold concept and why we still do that in the 21st century. You know, it's interesting as you were saying it, and it's very true that that happens. I think about how we do it throughout multiple types of relationships in our lives because I know when I go home to visit my parents, I turn back into that person. I'm their daughter, you know, which which means certain types of behaviors come out, so I shift. And when I come back to North Carolina, I shift back into the adult version of me, who, who doesn't have to... You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. Be in the role of, of daughter, but in my own space, the role of professional. So I just see us doing it in, in all these areas of our lives. But in the corporate aspect of, of this, this country, it's about, um, I guess, adjusting for that meaning of success and whatever that meaning of success is. And I like how um, Tyler Perry said, you know, create or build your own table. So why are we still feeding into other people's table or building tables for other people versus building tables for ourselves? tables where we're already accepted and we know that we are definitely worthy to already sit around you know so and I watched a movie last night and unexpectedly it popped up and I said well let me give it a try and as I watched it I thought this this movie is just a lot of um I guess money related stereotypes when you so called make it and make this money in corporate America, you need this type of house, you need this see through fireplace, or you need this type of car. And I thought, is that what they were actually passionate about, or did they submit to what society deems as what success looks like? And are we using our money wisely, or, or are we just pumping it, pumping it back into other people? versus pumping it into our own communities. So I just, just look at this whole idea of success and, and adjusting ourselves to meet other people's standards of success versus building upon our own ideas of success and supporting our communities and building them up. So, again, it's an ongoing, I think, an interesting topic that you brought up. Yeah, it seems to be going on on a regular basis and, 
like you said, folks, um, is even in uh, social environments, a lot of times folks will have those stereotypes where, you know, they want the person with the certain car, the certain amount of money, the certain job, and all of that. And a lot of times that person might not be the crown jewel that they were looking for, but they've already set up these kind of Prince Charming or uh, Lady Godiva kind of environments of what they want <laughs> in their life and everything without looking at the bigger picture. Because I think if you have to look at the full picture that includes everybody's uh, whole um, belief system, whether that's their intelligence, whether that's their spirituality, whether that's their emotional health, whether that's their mental health, because I think we all are made up of all of these elements and we have to look at the whole person, but sometimes we get stuck on wanting a particular thing. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, having certain goals and aspirations in your life that you want, but sometimes I think there's sometimes folks miss out on opportunities because they set too high a standard. And I was wondering, have mm-hmm. you seen that even among your students when you're talking to them about social work and some of the things that they are setting their sights on and all of that? Mm-hmm. I think the students, once they have a good understanding of what social work is, as well as their own abilities, their resources, I think they they set their goals in alignment, definitely in alignment with that. You know, I have students who want to develop nonprofit organizations or develop other types of businesses or write or be in politics. So it's all in alignment with with being able to respond to the needs of other people. Um, I think the main draw as far as money, uh, I think drawing out of them is the finances to fund the education, but budgeting and even on the Facebook page, the social work lounge that I created, we're going to start to have discussions or have speakers to speak about financial literacy. So finances are so critical but oftentimes we lack the training on how to be good stewards of our finances. So I think that that's a key component for our students to know how to manage their finances, especially when it comes to paying off the the university um, or college debt that, that will come with obtaining a degree. But even when we consider success and what that means, because many people who seem successful are also in debt. You know, it's just the image that, that's being right. portrayed. So, so building that knowledge about around finances, how to use it, and um, not having to sit in debt, but being able to have control over your own. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you had also mentioned, in addition to the book, I think you had an event coming up as well. I can't remember what the event was. I know there was a book, but it seemed to me that it was maybe a book launch or something that was coming up as well. Yeah. I do remember in our communication, you mentioned that there was going to be an event coming up in addition to the uh, book itself. So if you could tell a little bit about the event. Yes. So tonight with with being on your show, and I'm thankful to be here, I consider tonight the kickoff of my virtual book tour. So having the opportunity to be able to, to speak virtually about the book, Becoming Untangled, as it leads up to March 1st when it will actually be available. So I have just, just a, a few, um, say, virtual events that I will be attending where people will be interviewing me or will be conversations that we'll have along the way leading up to the actual um, availability of the book. So tonight I consider it as the kickoff for that. 
But in addition to that, I've been holding other events. The month of January is, I hope I get it right, but National Slavery Awareness and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Um, So there's an event coming on January 30th, and people are able to visit my website at drveronicardi.com that we will be doing online via Zoom from 12 to 2 Eastern Standard Time, and people can register on Eventbrite. But it's about human trafficking, creating an awareness about how it exists in this country, what it looks like, several of the myths in relation to human trafficking, and I also serve as a professional consultant for a new nonprofit organization developed in Fayetteville, North Carolina, called Doing It for the Kingdom. And that organization specifically focuses on human trafficking. So this event is also a fundraiser to help support some of the technology needs of the organization and other types of startup costs. And the person who actually started, her name is Shakita Torres, and she is the the owner and operator of a private counseling practice called Empowered to Shift Counseling and Coaching Services in Fayetteville, North Carolina. For January, I just really want to be able to promote the issue of human trafficking and creating awareness around that, as well as, like I said tonight, I feel like this is the kickoff of my my virtual book tour for Becoming Untangled. Uh, I definitely appreciate you coming up with us and everything. How um, big of a problem is, and we talked about it before on a couple of other shows, how big of a problem is human trafficking? I know a lot of times people hear that term, but they don't realize there's actually a very problem in and around the world and everything. But if you could share with our listeners a little bit about the intensity of human trafficking and how it's impacting a lot of folks on a regular basis and everything, because I think that a lot of times folks don't realize that they may even be uh, seeing human trafficking and not even realizing that they're seeing human Mm -hmm. trafficking because there might be people that are working at low-income jobs and having to be stashed somewhere Mm -hmm. that are part of that human trafficking, and I also know that it is definitely impacted in some of the uh, blue industries, for lack of a better term, because some of those kids that are involved there are still kids, and therefore they shouldn't be mm-hmm. involved in that, that kind of practice anyway. But definitely there are folks that are involved that are much uh, younger than they should be doing those kind of things. So just we you could just share a little bit about the uh, relevance of human trafficking and how big of an industry it is in the uh, U.S. and globally. Mm-hmm. So – a statistic I often start with is that that human trafficking is the it ranks between the second and third largest crime international crime, you know. In addition to, of course, uh, gun trafficking and drug trafficking, so it is very high up there. And with all of these, there's a product, and human beings are viewed as the product. And there are two kinds of trafficking: it's either labor trafficking, which we are very familiar with as far as slavery, those those types, um, domestic fortitude, et cetera. And then there's sex trafficking where a person is, is forced or made or coerced into engaging in various types of, of sex acts. And this includes from children through adults. It can be from infants through adults because, like I said earlier, people are perceived as products, products to, to generate money for someone or some type of organization. 
So there is a organization called Shared Hope International, and I encourage the listeners to visit that website because they do work in the United States and internationally focusing on human trafficking, and they also provide training, and something else that's very important is they provide report cards for each state. And those report cards identify how well the states are doing in their response to human trafficking. So how well they are doing with their laws in regards to human trafficking, with the number of busts of of human trafficking rings. So I think it's important for people to be able to see how your state is doing and what the particular gaps are. Um, And definitely... My focus is child sex trafficking, and I tend to work to create awareness around that because I believe in prevention uh, before someone is even affected by it. So creating an awareness around it, what can it look like? And an example that I often share with teachers and other types of educators is if you have a student who has consistently been in class but all of a sudden there's been a significant type of change in this person's attendance, um, their tardiness, uh, showing up disheveled. So significant changes in a person's behavior, appearance, be able to tune into that. Now, it may not be human trafficking. It can reflect something else, but still you want to be able to tune in and engage with that person and determine what types of help they may need. Um, And I share that because one example, I know there was a young lady who started being absent from her classes in high school at some point. And eventually one of her friends who was just flipping through some types of ads saw the picture of her friend posted and an ad that went along with that. And the friend took it to the teacher. So through that they found out that this young lady was being trafficked. She just wasn't skipping school because that was irregular for her. So we have to be able to tune into these shifts, these um, shifts that are inconsistent with that person's usual behaviors. Um, So I often say that's one sign. And for parents and adolescents, pay attention to the internet because on the internet, someone can be whoever they want to be. I mean, I could say I'm a 60-year-old woman right now, or I could say I'm a 20-year-old woman right now. On the Internet, people wouldn't know, and I could post a picture that's consistent with that. So many traffickers will use the Internet to lure um, children or adolescents to them. So, again, it's a form of manipulation, and children and adolescents in this age may not have the knowledge to discern if someone is being truthful on a site or untruthful and manipulative on a site. Um, And that's one of the downfalls of the Internet. It decreases your ability to develop the skills of discernment. So I encourage parents to always um, study the Internet, study the language, study the, the secret apps that people can have on their phones, and pay attention to how someone can lure your child out. And don't be afraid to have the conversation. Have the conversations with your kids so they can be able to protect themselves and be aware. So those are just a few tips that I often give about human trafficking to help create that awareness 
and 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 strengthen the community for prevention purposes. Yeah, it sounds like that's something that um, can even fool the uh, biggest of the adults and things of that nature. Because I know that I'm definitely in my fifties and everything, and I know that I've had conversations with folks on the social media, and then you said and have a real conversation. It's like, well, wait a minute. You sound like a gentleman from Nigeria. You don't sound like the person that you said you were earlier. So, like I said, I think even adults can get fooled as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes, we truly have to pay attention. Yes, yeah, so we have to pay attention and be cautious on all of those kind of things that we're involved in and all of that. Um, and now, another one of your other books that's very important to this day and time that we're in and everything is the uh, process of grief. Workbook that you did, and I know mm. so many people are going through grief, uh, and whether it's you know, with everything uh, going on with the pandemic and things of that nature. So, I'd love for you to share a little bit of the kind of advice that you gave in that process of grief because I do know that a lot of us are going through grieving elements. I know that I lost a uncle last, uh, was, mm. uh, last year, back in 2020, and everything it is, uh, my mm. cousin is still going through, uh, the state kind of stuff with that. Uh, family and everything, and I've got friends that have lost significant others um, and friends and relatives because of the whole pandemic. So grief is definitely something that we're all feeling in one form or fashion. So what are some of the mm-hmm. advice that you give folks in terms of self-care when they're dealing with grief? Mm, thank you so much for bringing that up, too. Um, th- this workbook I created is called The Process of Grief, the Underrated Form of Self-Care. And I called it underrated because When it comes to self-care, I haven't heard anyone share about you need to include grieving, allowing yourself to grieve as a part of self-care. Because if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, it tends to sit in us. And it it will come out in some other type of way. And I developed this, this workbook last year because I was providing presentations about grief and loss and being able to cope with it. And I thought, well, I would like to have a tool that people can take away with them or the people who cannot attend the presentations could take away with them. So I I wrote this workbook, and I made it this available on Amazon.com as well for people to be able to obtain. But I believe in self-reflection. So in this workbook, I include several questions where people are able to self-reflect. And I think that's that's an important process. Um, healing isn't a word that I tend to use when it comes to grief, but more about coping because we cope and adapt and adjust to the losses that we have experienced. That we have experienced. And I wrote this book for helping professionals, but it's relevant for anyone who wants to read it. Um, so some of the things that the tips that I provide are the self-reflection piece, being able to process, and even looking back to determine where where did I learn how to grieve or did I learn how to grieve? You know, who were your first models or examples of grief? Were you trained up to not speak about it or to not cry or to not communicate? Or were you trained up to freely express your emotions? In some way, so I encourage people to look back at their first models of grief, and then to even consider their first loss, and what did that mean? How did they respond to it? 
and how has that affected them throughout their life of how they have responded to other losses. I also discuss how loss is broader than what we think it is. The two primary types of loss are divorce and death in in this country. But there are so many types of loss. Like you mentioned, the pandemic. During the pandemic, there were losses of jobs. There were losses of hopes. I know so many people had goals they wanted to attain, vacations they wanted to go on, family gatherings they wanted to attend. They were not able to do that. Um, The financial losses are significant. There were losses of relationships. Relationships didn't last because we were together all the time in the same space, you know, and it was for protective reasons to not be exposed But at the same time, there may have been heightened emotions, so relationships may have ended. So there were multiple types of losses that took place, and we need to be able to process that and what it means for us and how it has affected us, especially with entering into 2021. But towards the end of the book, I encourage people to identify how they can be intentional about processing their grief, specifically what can they do? Because we have to schedule our own selves into our schedules because we do get so busy and and overwhelmed from day to day. So intentionally identifying what would be a good way for me to pause and process, again, whether it's journaling, whether it's some type of meditation technique, whether it's at the job? Is there something set up at the workplace when a loss happens, whether it's a coworker or somebody is being let go or furloughed? What are we going to do as coworkers in the workplace to process this? So what can happen in these different environments of our lives to process this grief both collectively and individually? So that, that's kind of what led to the development of this book, to be able to speak to the different types of losses, especially with everything that has happened in 2020 with the pandemic. Yeah, but I imagine people are not even thinking about some of the losses that are out there that folks probably weren't reflecting on and all of that, because I know mm-hmm. a number of folks that were probably involved in, um, for lack of a better term, long-distance relationships, whether that was long-distance in the same state or in out of state, mm-hmm. but with folks pretty much being locked into place, those relationships have probably mm-hmm. gone either south or they've had to change the nature of, of those relationships because you're encouraged not to go to a whole other state, much less a whole other city. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I imagine a lot of those relationships have gone through severe strains if they've been able to survive at all. Mhm. Mhm. And yeah, I would see several articles or talks specifically about that with long distance relationships that may not have been able to survive because you couldn't go visit because there were restrictions and then others that that did survive because they found these other ways to respond with the um what FaceTiming, all these other ways to communicate and build. So yeah, loss comes in, in many forms that we may not have realized before, but because we've spent time inside, we've been able to pay more attention to it. But now what are we yeah. going to do in response to it to take care of ourselves? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that you wrote about was racial equity in schools. I was wondering, 
Um, how important do you think that is now, and are we even able to talk racial equity in schools when so many of the schools are being taught virtually? I mean, as far as when you're doing racial equity in schools, the kids are definitely doing the work face-to-face with the kids of different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different um, different styles of division and everything. But mm-hmm. now they're doing that virtually. So I imagine it's probably even had to change the nature of the ways that you did the work done. Because I imagine when you first created racial equity in schools, it was pre-pandemic. So therefore, mm-hmm. you were having more of a hands-on kind of environment in the racial equity in schools, a uh, part of your aspect of what you're doing. But now we're in a whole other world where everything is so virtual and there's so many Zoom conferences that are going on that I don't know how that mm-hmm. conversation would even take place unless you also engage the parents or find ways to engage the students outside of the norms that they would have had in the time before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And this area of focus, I collaborated with one of my colleagues, Dr. Summer Woodside, in building this because she, she is a school social worker too, and that's one of her passions. And and it developed because of, of the inequities in the policies and and biases that professionals may carry that they don't realize they carry in response to certain populations. And like you said, with the virtual aspect, you may not see the face of the child, et cetera. So it, we don't have a clarity yet, and it would be interesting to find out, have any types of changes taken place due to this, this what, inter- international virtual change, which has opened the door to engagement with more diversity. Uh, me and my colleague, we were interested in, in putting this online, developing a workbook, um, developing online trainings around it, and it would be interesting to gain educators, teachers' perspectives on if there have been any kind of shifts in this particular area or shifts in policy in regards to racial equity. Um, Something else I tend to focus on in regards to equity is what I refer to as ability equity, meaning we all have these different types of abilities, whether it's in regards to sight, seeing, and and they vary as as far as um, how we are able to engage with it. And I think many... um, Programs may not be set up to respond to the different types of abilities that are there, whether someone does not actually have the ability of sight or does not actually have the ability of of hearing and how we are responding to that, whether your videos have captions and transcripts. So is it inclusive for people with various abilities too. So I really promote that, that that racial equity and also ability equity. And for our educators and even the different realms, even if it's corporate America, uh, radio broadcast, you name it, is it inclusive for all of these types of populations to be able to access that that type of service or or media? So I think these types of trainings are are so important, especially now that we have gone gone more virtual with providing education and providing services. Yeah, definitely. I know that when you do your speaking, you often talk about a lot of the things, some of which we've talked about already, but 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on a couple of those things that you talk about regularly. And one of them is something that I think that we all have to do in this age of the pandemic and everything, which is coping with daily stress and anxiety. So what are some of the mm. ways that you suggest that folks cope with the daily stress and anxiety that we're all facing? Because there's no doubt that we're facing this on a regular basis. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts as the ways that we can cope with this daily stress that happens on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, some of the presentations I give, they, they may just be an hour long. So what I try to do is, is give some of the quickest tips that I can that may be uh, very helpful or purposeful. And for one of the tips, I have this card, just like a business card, and it has the letters A-C-E on it. And those letters stand for accept, change, or eliminate. So I often ask the individuals and train them up to consider if a stressful situation comes up, you need to ask yourself, can you either accept the situation and just go with the flow of it? Can you change it in some way or can you eliminate it or remove it in some way? So I always ask them to evaluate, can you accept it? You can't make any change to it. So just be there, go through it navigate it and then at some point it will be over or can you make a change you know in it somehow Uh, for example if you are running late for a meeting can you can you call in and let them know can the meeting be pushed back can something be adjusted or could the meeting be eliminated could it be set for another day if there is time to reschedule and everyone else's schedules aren't affected so I always encourage people to first assess, can I accept, change, or eliminate this situation? Um, I also encourage people to pay attention to what they are eating because that's important. I've, I perceive food and drink as, as medicine. Whatever we take in is going to affect us. So the types of food we eat affect us. If you're eating sugary foods, that's, that's going to raise your energy level, and then at some point, you are going to crash. Uh, so pay attention to what you're taking into your body, all the caffeine, all the sodas, et cetera. It, it's empty. It's not, it's not truly food. So you need to be able to feed your body something healthy and things that are pure and that are clean so you can be able to cope and that your body is strong enough to respond. I also encourage people to pay attention to their the the signs, the symptoms that their body is communicating to them. Um, Are you having heart palpitations? Are you sweating? Um, Are you having, say, irregular (laughs) bathroom (laughs) visits? Things such as that, nausea, headaches. Our body gives us warning signs when something is going on. So when your body is giving you warning signs, You have to pay attention to it and find out what triggered that warning sign so you can respond to it. And sometimes the warning or the issue, the trigger is your thoughts, how you are interpreting a situation. So pay attention to your thoughts. How are you interpreting this? Um, Or are you even speaking to yourself negatively, which we call it negative self-talk, self-criticism, putting yourself down? And is that contributing to stress in your life? So those are some things I often encourage people to give attention to. You have to start with you. You have to start with your own thoughts. 
you have to pay attention to what your body is telling you and also pay attention to what you are feeding your body and your mind. Yes, I was feeding our minds and things along that nature. And I know one of the other talks that you give is about restoring your identity after you've been in an unhealthy relationship. And I know that too often Mm -hmm. we find ourselves in those unhealthy relationships and they can be of all sorts and everything. And we do sometimes get lost in not having our true identity. So you have to come back and, like, get back to your uh, normal you, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. and everything. So Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, how you go about restoring that identity after you've been in an unhealthy relationship. And I assume that these relationships don't necessarily have to be romantic relationships. They can also be parental relationships, or they can be work relationships. Mm -hmm. I imagine that we lose our identity in a variety of relationships. Mhm, mhm. I recently did an interview with a a private practice social worker, and his name is is Mitch Davidowitz, and he specializes in grief and loss counseling. And I appreciate how he speaks about loss and captures it, because when we lose pieces of our identity because of issues such as an unhealthy relationship, that's a loss. That's a significant loss. And I like the way he put it when he said, it's like you need time to recollect yourself. You need time to recollect who you are after being separated or involved in an unhealthy relationship. So you need the time to be able to do that so you can build yourself back up to who you want to be or who you even knew yourself to be. So remembering first that our Losses in our identity, that is a type of loss that either we're going to mourn or we're going to. Childhood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and someone telling you no. Adulthood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and being able to go right to Mickey D's to get every single one you want. Whenever you want. Get the new glazed pull-apart donut and a 99 cents any-sized iced coffee with pumpkin spice flavor. Sweet. Prices and participation may vary. Limited time only. Iced coffee promo available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami. And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. We're going to build ourselves back up again. And that starts with first realizing that a loss took place that whatever this relationship was, it created some changes in you. And that goes back to what we said earlier. Whoever we come in contact with, whatever, whatever we listen to, that's creating a change in us. It's influencing us in some way. So everyone we come in contact with, it's influencing us and can lead us to change, just like just about any type of relationship can do. So first, tune in to how did it influence a change in me? And then determine, you know, what is my perspective about these changes? You know, has it been harmful or toxic? Has it been healthy in some way? Has it made me better? Um, so asking yourself those questions. And then you have to determine, well, what do I want back? How do I want to go about recollecting myself? 
again, that's going to take quite a bit of self-reflection, but also possibly surrounding yourself with people who are healthy with you and, and can help you restore yourself. And always having that, that someone that you feel safe communicating with who can be a mirror to you. And I often say this to my students, that you're, you're like a mirror to your client. You help them see themselves. You help them to hear their thoughts. You promote that for them. So it's important for us to have someone in our lives who can, who can be our mirror, reflect back to us what we're saying, reflect back um, what we're thinking so we can pick up on it too and make determinations of, well, what, what do I want to change? How can I get back into my healthy state? What do I want to add into my life to be able to make me stronger? So I enjoy that that presentation because many of us uh, have gone through some type of unhealthy relationship. Like you said, it could be from the diversity of parent-child relationships all the way through to romantic relationships, and you want to make some kind of change in, in yourself and not carry on the, the loss that, that happened because of that relationship. Yeah, definitely. That's something that folks have to cope with and deal with on a uh, regular basis and everything. What's one, one of the most amazing public speaking that, that you've had and everything? I'm oftentimes fascinated by folks that go out doing the public speaking routine and everything, but they oftentimes will give uh, lessons that they learn from their own speaking engagement. So what is one of the speaking engagements that you always go back as being one of your favorite speaking engagements, and what lesson did you learn from that speaking engagement? Hmm. I will do, let's see. I think one of my speaking engagements, I believe I, I spoke for Mother's Day at at a church, and I spoke about, there's an experience in the Bible about a woman who was referred to as Lot's wife and how she turned around when she wasn't supposed to turn around. And before she turned around, her family, her children, everybody had reached a safe place. So it wasn't until after they reached their safe place that she turned around. And when she turned around, she was harmed. Basically, her life ended at that moment. But I was able to see something different in that story. Oftentimes, she was only viewed as the person who turned around and disobeyed. But I was able to see her as the mother and wife who got who who stayed with her family, and everybody got across to safety. And then she made this other decision for herself. So I just saw this this nurturer, and what came out of that for me is, although everyone else may see something negative. <laughs> There are these stepping stones that you have had in your life that that were positive, that helped to speak into someone else's life, that that helped them to climb whatever ladder to help build a foundation for someone else. And just because other people may be neglecting that about you, don't neglect it for yourself. That is part of your identity, and you have all these strengths that, that have sat within you that you use to pour into others. So not letting a mistake or unfortunate circumstance or a poor decision or something that you regret dictate your entire identity because all of these other successes and good things and foundations that you have built 
are part of your identity as well. So I would say that that is one of the presentations that that I truly enjoyed and was able to to get something different that I had never noticed in it before. Well, that sounds amazing and everything. Um, now, you've got this new book out and everything. Uh, what else can we expect from Veronica in the near future other than getting the book out and it becoming like a giant bestseller? So we know it's going to become a giant bestseller and all of that. But what other things do you have in the works for the rest of 2021 going into 2022? Because I know that you've always got things on your plate. So I imagine you've already got things <laughs> planned out for the next two or three years. So I'd love to hear some things that you are hoping to have accomplished over the next several years and everything along those lines. Well, some of the things I really want to accomplish, you know, I have, you know, in spite of the pandemic, I have always just wanted to teach virtually. (laughs) For the past 10 years, I have wanted to teach virtually. Unfortunately, the pandemic has allowed that to happen. But my hope is is to be able to teach completely virtually at some point, because I, I just want to cross international boundaries. And I want to be able to strengthen my own virtual teaching to really match what students experience in the classroom. So that's a, that's a goal of mine to be able to have that that opportunity. Um, on top of that, I enjoy coordinating and hosting events. So through my my face page, uh, my Facebook group, the Social Work Lounge, I am conducting many interviews. So I enjoy doing that, and I I hope to grow in that piece. And so far I've been using the platform of Zoom and I've enjoyed bringing information from different speakers to the people into the group. And yet another project I'm working on, it's it's another book (laughs) that is also available for pre-order on um, Amazon, but will be available for actual purchase in, in April. But it's called From Hire to Hire, And the focus of that book is climbing the ladder of tenure and promotion as a faculty member at at universities and colleges because I felt with me going into a university, into academic employment, that there wasn't specific guidance other than the faculty handbook or the employee handbook about the tenure and promotion process for the educators. and, and mentorship is, is always a, a benefit. So we can reach out and be intentional to obtain mentors, but I thought it would be great to put some type of workbook in place, just sharing about my process, sharing some of my evaluations, information that I have included, to be able to help people to transition through, through that tenure and promotion process. Um, in 2020, I was promoted to the level of professor, and I started at the level of assistant professor. And I also want to be an example to other, say, African-Americans or African-American females who are in the university environment and just share my story and the steps that I took that that led to where I am now. So that's, that's yet another project that I'm working on, and then my intention is to continue to also focus on the the issue, the topic of human trafficking as well. So, yep, those are some of the things that, that I have planned for 2021 and, and the next few years. Sounds like you've got a lot on the plate, and that's a great thing is you're going to be keeping busy 
in that regard. And you've got a number of amazing things that are included in that. So it looks like you'll be keeping quite busy and all of that. And I do know that tenure can be an interesting conversation because I've got friends that are professors at Central as well as um, I think there's some that are still at Shaw and St. Aug and mm-hmm. Duke and a number of other campuses, even Carolina, UNC. And I do know that a lot of times they are uh, fascinated by the hoops that they have to jump through in order to get tenure. And a lot of times they have I've got a couple of friends that have basically been never gathered, gotten that tenure track. They're just doing like year-by-year contracts and have been doing that for mm-hmm. a number of years. Like I said, they haven't done mm-hmm. the publishing and the tenure part of it, and therefore it can sometimes be quite frustrating to them because I know a couple of folks like that that they've been in that um, non-tenure track, and basically it might be a two-year contract or a three-year contract, or in some cases year-to-year, but they might last for right. 15 or 20 years, and of course you don't get the same kind of benefits that you get when you're tenured. So they oftentimes mm-hmm. are feeling like they don't get the same kind of uh, um, benefits that they would like to have based on the fact of not being in that tenure track. So what kind of advice would you give to folks that want, would like to get into the professor realm and would like to get in the, those tenure tracks? So what kind of advice would you give to folks that might be stuck in that year-to-year kind of environment? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is definitely ob- obtaining a mentor or engaging with someone who has achieved what you would like to have attained. So that's that's the number one, just putting yourself in alignment with that. Um, Something else I often uh, tell people is to determine what your specific interests are. For example, mine were diversity. Mine was online education. So specifically determine what your interests are and then engage in committees on your campus that are in alignment with those specific interests. And work to gear your writing, your your service opportunities to those interests, but at the same time, be able to step beyond that and find other ways that you can grow, okay? Um, and just one other thing, as you accomplish something, whether it's a speaking opportunity, uh, whether it's an article publication, or something that's been written about you in your local newspaper, save everything. Create a file, whether it's an actual paper or, or hanging file, or create some kind of online file where you can store all your information. Save all of those things according to the year that it happened in. So when it comes time for you to put together your portfolio to be evaluated, you have all of your documents at your hand, right at your fingertips, so that way you're not scrambling trying to put everything together. So you really want to be organized from the start. So those are a few tips that, that I would give to people, especially those who are just beginning, locate mentorship. And it doesn't have to be at your university. It can be at another university. And a mentor, uh, another way to view a mentor, it doesn't have to be someone you're actually communicating with. It could just be someone you're observing and you're following their example. So find your mentor. Um, organize your information from the beginning, determine your interests, and then find ways you can be involved that are in, li- in alignment with those interests. Now, that makes a lot of sense and everything. It's some great advice that you were giving to folks. One of the things we do, and we've got about another 12 minutes to go into the show and everything, is we always give folks mm-hmm. an opportunity to share their
their message of positivity, which we've been doing all during the course of this afternoon and evening, uh, night, I should say. But definitely I would love for you to have this opportunity to share your message of positivity and messages that you would like to share. And, of course, I definitely want you to have another opportunity to share how folks can reach you. Because, like I said, you've always got amazing conversations. And then I'll bring um, Dean in as uh, well as we get ready to wrap up over the last 10 minutes and see if he's got any thoughts. But I've also got a quick question for him based on something that I saw in the news that he might be interested in. But I'd love to hear your final thoughts and everything. And then I'll bring Dean into the conversation as well. Okay, so just a thought for positivity. Something I do every morning before I get started with my busyness is do something positive, read something positive. Get something in me, inside of me, that will help me to focus on my day in a positive way. So if you can start your day like that, to me, that that makes it a great start. Um, How to get in touch with me, you can always visit my website, drveronicahardy.com. Um, I am on Facebook, Dr. Veronica Hardy, and I have a Facebook group called the Social Work Lounge, and also I am on LinkedIn. So those are three ways where you can always be able to find me and to be able to keep up with some of the things that I'm doing. And the Social Work Lounge, do you have to be involved in the field of social work to become a member of the Social Work Lounge? Do you have to be um anywhere in the United States, or is it a global group, or how does one become a member of the social work lounge, and do you have to be in the field of social work, or do you just have to have an interest in the field of social work? Yes, right now I'm encouraging people, if, if they're even if they're students of social work or volunteering somewhere, they can become members. Right now it's mainly, I've seen just students and people who do have their degrees in social work, and it is global. Um, people can join, again, uh, from different countries, different locations, so that's perfectly fine as well. Well, I have to tell my brother about it. He's actually involved in that field. He's actually getting his, um, I think his PhD, but he's getting it in conflict resolution, which we know is an important part of social work and all of that. So mm-hmm. I'll have to tell him about the group, and he can hopefully join it as well, because I know that he's actually um been attending a couple of different universities. I know he got his undergraduate from North Carolina Central, and then I believe he's got mm-hmm. some of the uh, master's work from UNCG, but he is definitely involved in that field and oftentimes is working with what we sometimes refer to as at-risk youth, even though I, like him, think mm-hmm. that is a misuse and probably a term that we... You did it. You woke up today. You even got out of bed. You deserve a reward. We can't all be morning people, but we can all get McDonald's for breakfast. Right now, mix and match a Chicken McGriddles or a McChicken Biscuit for just 3 bucks. Order ahead on the Mickey D's app. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Mobile order and pay at participating McDonald's. Bada ba 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 we've always been encouraged to speak about people from a strength-based perspective versus a deficiency perspective. So at-risk focus on deficiencies. 
So we encourage people to to uh, focus on the uniqueness of the individual. So I used to work with boys who were labeled as court-committed juveniles, but now it's referred to as justice-involved. So, again, being able to switch our language and decrease the, the labeling of people from a, a deficiency perspective. That makes a lot of sense, and we definitely need to do that. So, Dean, um, another great guest we've had and everything, so I'd love you to jump in and see what you've got to say about what's going on and all of that. When we first started the show, by the way, we were talking about that madness that went on in uh, D.C. and everything, and one of the things that I saw while I was talking to Veronica was that apparently at least two U.S. Capitol Police officers have been suspended and at least 10 more are under investigation because of the whole thing that went on last week. So it does look like some folks are being suspended. One of them that is the one that took a selfie with members of the mob and another one that was seen uh, with a Make America Great Again hat on and directing people inside the building. And apparently there are several others that are being investigated as well. So I know that you come out of the field of law enforcement. So if you wanted to like talk about both what's going on with the conversation we've had with Veronica, as well as that new story that I just pulled up and everything, I'd love to hear your thoughts as we wind everything down. Well, very interesting and insightful conversation with Dr. Hardy. And we wish you much success on the uh, releasing of your, your next book. And we appreciate you coming and starting your uh, virtual book tour here with us at Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. So thank you. Thank you. And in reference to, to answer that other question, there was no way that all of that could have been achieved without inside assistance. And a lot of people may not want to accept that fact, but for them to know where to go and, you know, like regular folks, Capital, we're going to have to look around and find out which way we want to go. How would they know exactly where to go? They have walkie-talkies, you know, the two-way communications, and they had their um, plan mapped out of what they were going to do. You see some of the guys had zip ties. And so, you know, there is no way that all of that could have been achieved without inside assistance so when they catch all of the rest of the people that are involved in that yeah a lot of them were just dumb you know uh, reporters are like hey what are you doing hey we storming the capitol hey what's your name hey my name's dean geronimo and i'm from new jersey and you know like how stupid can you be but that shows the intelligence level of the individuals who decided to do something based on emotion rather than based on logic so as you know, <laughs> logic always wins over emotion. It may not be immediate, but at the same time, emotion doesn't always win. So they, they, yeah, they're, they're searching for the rest of them. And like I said, when they find them, justice should just be swift and immediate. Don't waste our tax dollars or our time taking them to trial and all of that other worthless nonsense because they gave away their rights when they decided to do um, the insurrection and become domestic terrorists. That's just my thought. No, I agree with you 100% on that. We also earlier talked really briefly um, with Dr. Hardy about the term at-risk youth, and I know that you definitely work in the correction systems and all of that. So you're thinking that we probably need to 
better terminology, but I was just wondering your thoughts when you hear that term, at-risk youth, and whether you try to find better wording that, than that since you are involved in the correction system. But I was just wondering your thoughts about the terminology of at-risk youth. Dean? Oh, you're talking to me? Yes. You, you know what? I, I really don't ascribe to that. Just choices, and, and you, you teach what's right and what's wrong, and a lot of times, you know, folks are at risk, and they group everything under at-risk youth for of receiving dollars to do whatever they want to with it. People make choices, and sometimes they don't make the correct choices. But are they all at-risk youth? I don't know. You can't save everybody. That's the one thing I've learned in 22 years in corrections. You want to, but you can't. So there are some that, huh? Go ahead. ahead. There are some that will correct the mistakes and become productive citizens, and the rest of them will just continue to make mistake after mistake. No matter how much help you give them, they keep doing the same thing. So, huh? You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes, too, the laws regarding discipline and what you can do and what you can't do have made it a lot. It's made it real restrictive in these days and times. I come from the old school, and your neighbor could choke you up and then take you home, and you're going to get choked up again. And if you had both parents in the home, that's three choke-ups for one incident. You're either going to go back out there because you like getting choked up, or you're going to change the behavior. You know, and it's the same thing when when people go to uh, jails and prison. They either make a conscious effort, change the behavior, or they make another mistake or a repeated mistake, and they end up coming back. Doesn't make them bad people, no. But some things don't always work with everybody. You can't put this Band-Aid on it and say, okay, well, we're going to have 10,000 mentoring programs. That might not be the way that you reach some of these uh, youth today. They're different. They're, they have a different thought process. They're more um, defiant, you know, oppositional, whatever you want to call it. They don't have um, a filter. They're going to tell you exactly what they think. And <laughs> And they they are also on the flip side of that, the generation that's um that's gonna push for positive change. Because they they believe what they believe, they are willing to tell you and they're willing to deal with whatever comes from it. And I respect them for that. You know, so it, it it's it's changed, you know, it went from like I, I can't even explain it. it. It's like hot and cold water. And now they're, they're scorching hot, and, and then it's their time. You got to pass the baton to those who, who are also looking for positive change and to keep fighting for it. It's not something that is not done. It's not finished. And 80% of us did absolutely nothing, so hopefully 80% of them will make it happen. That's just my thought on that, man. No, I agree with you. That's a great thought to have and everything that you were totally winding down with just a few more seconds to go, but we have a couple of minutes that we can talk about where they can hear the replays and all of that. I tried to talk Bill into calling you because I knew that 
he is a Buffalo Bills fan, but he said he was doing work and things of that nature. I was going to have to settle that on the field next week between Buffalo and the Baltimore Ravens. But I did send him an email while I was talking to Veronica and tried to talk him into calling so that y'all could have some smack talking going on between yourselves. Because I know you're going to be rooting for Baltimore, Cleveland, as well as um, I don't know who you're picking for the other games, which is Green Bay against the Rams and uh, the uh, Tampa Bay New Orleans game. St. Louis, New Orleans, Cleveland, and Baltimore. I don't do too much smack talking because I'm going to let my um, team do what they do. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. So until the clock hits zero, we don't know who the victor will be. So it's smart to just watch the game and root for your team rather than to tell somebody what somebody else is going to do. And then, you know, I'm not good at eating those words. They don't have uh, any taste. It's kind of bland, and I don't want to put any hot sauce on it. So, you know. That's just how that one is. I understand, and I definitely agree with you on that. But before you get to telling everybody where they can hear these lovely replays and everything, Veronica, are you a sports fan? And do you have any picks for the games this coming weekend as we're down to, like, eight teams left? <laughs> I'm not very much of a sports fan. It depends on what room I'm sitting in and who's being cheered for. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good answer. That takes a lot of sense. And everything, so it depends on who's over there and who's yelling and for which team it's going for. And I know a lot of fans that are that way, so I can definitely relate to that. But as um, Dean said, it was great having you on as a guest. You definitely gave us some great knowledge, and we will definitely be keeping informed as to the different things that you're doing. And like I said, uh, I would definitely try to get my brother to join that group, and I may even wind up joining it myself. And who knows? Maybe Dean will join it as well. But definitely we'll be keeping in touch with you and finding out the various things that you're doing on a regular basis. And hopefully we'll get a chance to have you come back on whenever you feel like it because you're always full of great knowledge and all of that. So on that note, I'm going to let Dean tell us who we've got, uh, where they can hear the replays and the other shows that we've got. And I do know that we've got the musician schedule, I believe, for next week. Because I've heard from Eris, who is a promoter out of Hawaii, and she's got some hip-hop artists and some other types of artists that she has already reached out to me and said that they will be on the show. And I think that there may be some entrepreneurial types from the LSX family that may be coming on next week as now well. We're going to have to get them. We're going to have to get them for the 25th because you know the 18th is a holiday. That's so right. We're gonna so we're going to have to push you back one. Yeah, push you back one week. Push it back one week, man. You know what? Hey, y'all, uh, it's Straight Talk with Dana Mark, Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to catch the replay on the Skyhawk Radio Network tomorrow and Wednesday afternoon, both at 2 p.m. And if you missed those, we do have replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podfollow, Deezer, Jay Saban, and right here on Blog Talk Radio, where we are part of the Level Podcast Network. You can also catch the shows The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, The Chef Gang Radio Show, Funk from the Front Seat, Funk Music with Zach, Learning Unwrap, Let's K-12 Better, Marketing with Rush, Hashtag Rush Selfie, Mona Shake and the Minority Reports, Mulling, 
Music and Memories with Mark Lee, the online dinner party with Mark Lee, the reinvention road trip, She's on Call, the Just Podcast, the Mark Lee Show, the Spinning Social Hour, Virginia Interface Live, and WNC Original Music. Now, like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's a six-man Dean Geronimo. We've come to the end of this show. Have an outstanding week. Have an outstanding holiday. We will see y'all in 14 days. And as Dean just said, we'll see you in 14 days because I'm going to have to push on my guests back a week or two. But we'll be back on the 26th with more amazing guests and some more great conversation. And by the way, Dean will be glad to know that I talked earlier today with Russ. And Russ was just pleased as punk to be part of the uh, podcast network. And he's definitely glad to be part of our family. So he popped on one of my shows, the Mullins Music and Memory Show. And I told him that he would get his regular airplay. And the office down, Dean will send me an email saying, I've uploaded Russ. And he just had that big grin on his face. But he was glad to be part of the family. And I've also shared that message that she's part of what we've got going on with Jeff. And she was also uh, enjoying that as well. So we are glad to have this powerful podcasting network. And who knows, we may even recruit some more shows in the near future or shift some things around because we are growing a great radio network. Just like IBM TV is going on the TV side, we're going it on the audio and radio side. So definitely some amazing shows that are folks can hear all kinds of great content on a regular basis. So I'm finding that we just have doing some amazing things and we might even have to bump our level on up because I think we've got so many great shows that they're telling me that we've got full story. So I'm going in there all the time and like, you know, doing some adjusting and things of that nature. But at some point, with the money coming in, so anybody who's listening that wants to support us as underwriting and things of that nature, then we can go up to the next level and not have to worry about stories and all of that. So I am looking into that theme. So we're just going to keep this thing rolling and rolling and just having fun with it like we do on a regular basis. So until two weeks, the theme just reminded me, I've got two weeks until we're back. So until two weeks from now, y'all have a good one, and I'm out of here as well. might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage is not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. 
A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories make tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. 